Welcome to Don't Box Me In, the show that features conversations with people from all walks of life, talking about their extraordinary experiences and inspirational messages. Now, here's your host, Lana Reed. Well, hello, hello, hello. Like they said, I'm Lana Reed, and welcome back to this week's edition of Don't Box Me In. Now, my guest today is a 49-year-old blind gentleman who grew up in a family of carnival owners. So I was kind of curious about the whole traveling carnival industry, so I looked up a few things. Um, so before we get started, I just wanted to mention that the traveling carnival industry began in America in the late 1800s as a result of improved transportation and technology, and another little interesting tidbit that I didn't know. There is actually a pattern to how a carnival is supposed to be set up with the front end of the show or the lot being the main entrance, which is lined with your concessions. So there you'll see your refreshments and cotton candy and hot dogs and all of those games of chance. And then the back end of the lot is where we get all those wonderful rides, your merry-go-rounding and carts. So next time you go to a carnival, you understand there's actually a psychology to how it's all set up. But uh, back to today's guest, Maxwell Ivy grew up in the carnival life and is here today to share his story of overcoming the many challenges that life threw his way, and um, there are quite a few. And I'm happy to have him here with me today and extend a big, big welcome to him, Maxwell. Welcome to Don't Box Me In. Well, hi, Lana. Thanks for having me on the show. Thank you. Thank you, and thank you for making time for me today. We're going to have a, a good little hour chat here today together. I try to make it as enjoyable for everybody. Um, but as I mentioned in the uh, opening there, you, you had a kind of unique upbringing there. I don't think too many of us can have that uh, claim to fame there, saying they grew up in the carnival industry. Uh, help me picture all of this. Were you, as a young person, packing up and traveling all over the place, or how, how does that work uh, being in a family of, of carnival owners? Well, it, it works differently now than it did when I was growing up because when I was growing up, the, the season ran from March to October, and that was in Texas where the weather is much better than it is in a lot of the other parts of the country. And for most of the rest of the country, the, the season would have been about six months. And so I would stay with uh, with relatives or close friends of my family until school was out or return back home before their season was over to go to be put back in school. And we would all travel with the family during the summer months. You know, that's another thing that's changed. Uh, I have a nephew who's in home, who's being homeschooled and it seems like they were just barely out of school before they were back in it again. <laughs> so the, uh, today's generation of uh, young kids in the carnival industry, they kind of do the whole year school thing and travel with the carnival where it goes, yeah. whereas you actually went to a, an actual brick-and-mortar school building? Yes, yeah. Oh, and okay. I think it is more and more common that the kids on the Midway are homeschooled Except for certain companies. There are some companies out there that operate their own traveling schools. Uh, Reithofer and Straits shows on the East Coast do. Um, and in Europe and Australia, it's not uncommon to have uh, tra- traveling schools. And in Australia, they actually have one that uh, the school travels and follows the the root of the major carnival events. So the school is operated by the government agency that handles education in Australia, and the school just travels to follow where the kids are. Wow. So it's it's kind of safe to say that this whole carnival industry is kind of a big, 
business thing here. It has become it has become that when I uh, uh, when my family was in the business we've we've been out of it now for uh, at least ten years. Uh, it was mostly uh, family owned businesses, and in order to have a, a big fair like the State Fair of Texas or the like the tri-state fairs they have in New York and New Jersey, you'd have to have a lot of operators come together in one space to put on a carnival. But nowadays, um, the smallest company that I know of is, you know, 15 or 20 rides, and many of them are operating 35 rides or more. So it's it's definitely changed during my lifetime. Also, the rides have gotten much more high-tech, just mm-hmm. like the games have gotten more high-tech. The food choices are just amazing compared to what they were. I mean, when I was growing up, you had one food trailer on a lot. You had cotton candy, candy apples, caramel apples, popcorn, and snow cone. That was it. We didn't even, nope. have, funnel cake. We didn't even have funnel cake when I was a kid. <laughs> a carnival without funnel cake. Who would have? No, that's not an option. That's not an option. Now, you mentioned something in uh I want to make sure I go back to it because when I was doing my research for today, I heard that term and I said I was going to ask you about it. You said earlier, um, we were talking about the kids in school, you said on the midway. And that's that's something I read, I think, when I was reading it. And it's also the name of your business. Is that How does that relate to, to the carnival industry, this term midway? Well, it goes back to the – you're going to make me feel bad that I can't remember which <laughs> – it goes back to one of the World's Fair. I believe it was World's Fair held in New York. Okay. And the, uh, it was, it was basically midway between the activities that had nothing to do with sideshows or the circus and the circus because the carnival grew out of the circus sideshows. And, uh, so it's, at, like I say, there would have been the circus, the live animals, the sideshows, then there would have been like the agricultural exhibits. And the midway was, Halfway in between those at one of the world's fair, and that was where the that was where the name originally started being used, and that was back before that was back when the only ride would have been a a merry-go-round operated with actual live animals, and they may have had one of the early Ferris wheels at that world's fair. I'm not I'm not 100 percent sure. I know the Ferris wheel goes back to the 1800s, so it could have been, you know. Okay. Uh, so it's actually an uh, it was actually uh, an event that now. We just kind of use to kind of describe the whole carnival or parts of the carnival industry. Right, right. Okay. And, and I actually made a mistake when I chose that as part of my business name. I, my, my intent was to have a company that would be international in in scope and would address more than just carnivals and uh, amusement parks. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I chose a poor name because we only call them midways here in the U.S. In Latin America, they're referred to as La Ferias. And in Australia, New Zealand, United Kingdom, and most of Europe, they refer to them as fun fairs. Or they just, they just say that it's a uh, fairground rides and attractions. So it's only here in North America that we even call them midways. Okay. 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 Nice little fact there. Now I'm, I'm going to admit, uh, a little, um, humorous haha for a moment for me so when i was getting ready for the show today and i kept on saying you know carnival 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 for some reason in my mind i was like reflecting back to many many generations 
ago, even though I know that it doesn't exist anymore. But I was thinking of more of the um, the sideshows where you had like the the lady with the hair, you know, facial hair and all stuff. But we've migrated. The carnival is something else now. How long is it? Is there a difference in carnival style? I think what is that a burlesque show or something? Um. I don't know if you would call it burlesque. I know this. My grandfather operated the carnival in, in Texas in the 50s, and they used to have a girl's show that would travel with the carnival. Okay. So I don't know if it would have been considered burlesque because I don't know what they were allowed to get away with. I don't have anybody in my family that remembers far enough back <laughs> that can tell me or that will admit to it if they do. <laughs> no, that wasn't us. No, we never ran a business like that. I understand. I understand. Now, you mentioned that uh, you used to travel with the carnival when school was out, um, and I'm assuming that it wasn't just uh, a child partaking and eating candy apples and riding the rides. Did you actually have to work during the summer at the carnival? Yeah, I like to tell people I grew up with a grandmother who the, the worst thing you could ever say to her is that you were bored because <laughs> that meant that you didn't have work to do. So. Um, some of the things that we would do would be to wash the canvases, um, collect the fence feet that went to the fence for the rides, uh, tear up used tickets, uh, count and wrap change, stick apples, um, wash the, the sugar, the, the, back then it was actual real sugar in the, in the snow cone syrup. Have to wash all of that sticky sugar out of everything. So, you know, lots of jobs like that. My first jobs, they used, you know, since I am blind and they often worried about me running the midway, even with a bunch of other kids in the family. Um, they put me to work earlier than the rest of them or, or maybe I took to the work better. I'm not sure, but <laughs> my, first, my first job was is I would stand in the back of the food wagon and I would box the popcorn. I would put the, and I would put the butter on it if they wanted butter. And I would put the snow cone syrup on the snow cones. Um, back then, the machines that you used to make the popcorn and grind the ice for the snow cones were kind of dangerous to work around. So they wouldn't let me make the popcorn or grind the ice, but they would let me uh, box it, put the butter on it, or then scoop the ice into the cups and put the syrup on it. So those were my first jobs. And, and yeah, they, they did like to, they didn't like to, to have us work, so. Had to work, had to work. Now, you mentioned uh, because you were blind, uh, you had, I mean, you still had to work, but they were kind of cautious. Uh, my, my next question was, were you born blind? Uh, no, I was, uh, I had perfect vision when I was born. I have retinitis pigmentosa, which most people okay. just call RP. Uh, I lost, uh, about, the, about the age of four or five, they noticed that I was falling down more and running into stuff more than the rest of the kids, so they had me tested and found out I had it. And I lost a little bit of a vision at a time until I was about 12 or 13, and then I had a large uh, drop in vision. And it stayed pretty constant until I was in my late teens. And then in my early 20s, I lost pretty much the rest of the vision to where now I have what they would call light perception. I refer to myself as being totally blind because I have no functional vision and have to do everything with, with speech or some sort of tactile option. Okay, but you can't see the difference between light and dark. Yes. yes. Oh, okay. Okay. It doesn't okay. Much good, but yes, I can see it. Okay. Uh, okay. You know, like in my the, uh, a while back, I was recording some videos, 
and people told me that my videos were, were dark, that I needed to put some lights on, and I told them, well, if I don't exactly, if I don't look up towards the ceiling where the light fixture is, I have no way of knowing whether it was on or not. So, okay, okay. So, and I'm gonna get into that later because I wanted to ask, you know, because there's some things that you're doing now that are phenomenal, and you know, uh, blindness doesn't stop the show for you at all. And uh, I was gonna ask how you do that, but I'll get to that later. But right now, I, I got a couple more questions about this carnival life. So you're you're doing snow cones and popcorn. Did you have brothers and sisters, or everybody? It was a family affair. Uh, yeah, most of my 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 mom. Or my mom comes from a family with six kids, and most of my family has been in the business or is in the business. Um, and we would, you know, there would be ten or there would be ten or twelve uh, cousins running around at any one time. Up until the 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 aunts and uncles started starting their own midways, and then we, you know, you, we weren't all on the same lot together anymore, but. But yeah, I have I have two younger brothers. Michael is a year and a half younger, and a lot of times I think he was told to look out for me. And then I have another brother, Patrick, who's I think seven or eight years younger. Uh, when he when he came along, um, my my dad had started his own little rental business, and we weren't traveling as far anymore. So he was able to go to school and. My parents were able to be there when he was going to school, as as opposed to the way we were raised. Okay. Okay. Now, the the midway or the carnival industry, it's it's a very unique business line to to go in. Is there any kind of background history how your family fell into that industry? Um, the best I can can find out about it. I did a project on it when I was in college, and uh, my grandmother's family operated re- a restaurant in Nebraska. And during the depression, when the restaurant went out of business, basically anybody was looking for any way to make a living and bring in any money. And somebody must have encouraged them to, to either sell food at an event or travel with a carnival or something. I don't exactly know all the details, but I know that they then moved from, uh, my grandmother married my grandfather and he was from Texas. So they then moved, moved to Texas. And we're there up until 83 when the height of the oil business basically made their their property worth so much money they couldn't afford to stay there anymore. Okay. Awesome. Well, looking at time now, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to talk more about uh, your life and your transformation. Stay with me. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. Hello, 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 and welcome back. Today I am chatting with the author of the book, Leading You Out of Darkness into Light, A Blind Man's Inspirational Guide to Success, Mr. Maxwell Ivey. And before the break, we were talking about uh, his early life in the carnival industry, or as we should put it, the midway. And um, you were telling us, explaining to us about your gradual um loss of sight uh, but I, I do want to let the audience know and this is one of the things I really really enjoy about you that didn't stop you or slow you down from anything you actually went on to go to college even though you probably had lost your sight um, pretty much at that particular time it, am I getting the timeline right yeah you got that correct okay what what did you go to college for 
Well, like a lot of people nowadays, I went to college for a degree that's, that probably has done me absolutely no good. But <laughs> I was told to get a degree, and uh, I went to college. Uh, my degree is from Texas A&M Corpus Christi in political science. I applied to several law schools and was refused. Was based on based on poor testing scores, mm-hmm. um, and possibly maybe applying to schools that um, were were a bit were a bit uh, higher up than maybe I should have went for. Um, that's neither here nor there at this point. It's mm-hmm. not. I, I I think I mentioned in the book that um, when I when I didn't get into law school. I didn't press the issue as much as I could have because I'm not exactly sure it was where I really wanted to be. So uh, I went from there to a training program in Arkansas that prepared people, blind people to work for the Internal Revenue Service. And I did that for two or three years until I got tired of people say, calling up and saying that I was going to be putting them out of their homes and taking their grocery money out of their kids' mouths and I finally decided that, you know, uh, carnian is easier than collecting taxes. <laughs> Probably much more enjoyable of a process too, right? Yeah, yeah. No matter, no matter how good or how bad things were on any particular day, I never got up and thought, well, maybe I won't go into work today. Yeah. And at least you made some people smile throughout the day. That's true too. I always made, we always made more people happy than sad. And I couldn't say that about working at the IRS. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think too many people. It's like going to the dentist when you're dealing with the IRS. There, I don't. I don't think too many people enjoy that process. But uh, you know, like I said, I just really wanted people to, you know, and and there's so many elements and parts of your story it is just so phenomenal because a lot of people make assumptions. Okay, well here it is. He's lost his sight. You know, he's okay. He's overcome and how to work with the family and he's doing the carnival thing. But you know, that's not it. We're going to go to college and you know go through that process and now we're hearing that oh, okay we got a job at the IRS and, and then you decide you're going to come back and work you know back with the family in the carnival industry so what were you doing at that particular time um, still doing the snow cones and the popcorn or I'm, I'm pretty sure your your job had upgraded at that time <laughs> by that by that time I was uh, I was working with my dad and doing the uh, the bookings uh, okay. making all those cold phone calls and uh, later on, near uh, near the end, sending out those uh, quote spam email, depending on who you believe. Um, uh, you know, doing the bookings, and I also operated. I had a couple of kids' games that of, of my own, and uh, I I even owned a couple of rides at one time. I had a little kitty <laughs> mini jet ride and one of those inflatable slides. So uh, I was invested in the business, and I I. Th- think that I would probably still be doing that if it weren't for the fact that when my father died, me and my brother weren't really ready to take over the business. Mm-hmm. Uh, people tell me he, when I say he he uh, died early from cancer and people go, Max, he died, he was 60 or 61, that isn't early, and I'm like, well, for us it was. You know? <laughs> we weren't ready. We weren't ready, no. We weren't ready. <laughs> we weren't ready. So so he was sixty one. How many years in the in the uh, midway life had your father spent when he passed? You know, it's it's hard to say because um, his his dad operated uh, games on the East Coast, so you know it could have been it could have been forty or forty five years. He could have been doing it mm-hmm. since he was an early teenager. You know, um, 
I, I know that he he tell he always told us that he broke in working the microphone on a game called a rat wheel, which is uh, it's a game no longer allowed because it was actually gambling, where they would spin a wheel and turn a mouse loose on the wheel, and whatever hole he went into, if you had your quarter or, or a dollar on that color, you got paid. Okay. So. So I guess I mean I didn't realize, you know I just. In Los Angeles, sometimes you see on the corner these things will pop up for like a couple of days and you just assume that there's really not any rules and regulations about what can be done or what cannot be done. But I guess now listening to you, there are some restrictions on even though it's a traveling kind of setup thing, there are things that you can and cannot do. Right, right. There um, are uh, there are games that for the, for the most part, if a game doesn't have a, an element of skill – and the uh, the customer doesn't have a a a fair a fair chance to win any prize displayed in most parts of the country. That game is going to be considered illegal. Uh, but then on on top of whatever state or local regulations you have, you also have uh, quite a few companies out there who have ethics as far as as certain games that may not be illegal that you might you might not go to jail for operating, but just Aren't, just aren't the right kind of thing that you would want to have on your midway. Okay. There's okay. there are some games okay. where people can win, but they have such a small chance of winning that uh, some owners won't allow those games to operate. But I was going to ask. So, um, like I said, there's so many things you just kind of you see them, but you don't really know all the details. So you have to little coin toss or the. Um, the ring across the box. There has to be an opportunity for the person to win a, a chance, a fair chance, or so there's no waiting the bottom so it'll never tilt over kind of thing going on. It has to actually be a little legit setup. Right. If there, I'm not, I'm not saying that there aren't people out there. Who, I'm not saying there aren't people out there who won't do, who won't do that because we all know there are. Okay, okay. Because that's what, you know, because I'm so terrible at it. I'm thinking, okay, it's rigged. They got it rigged. I can never win these things. He's probably got something where the bottle tilts back up as soon as I manage to get it down. I know he does, you know, but, uh, you know, I yeah, just I, always felt it was always I, tilted on their side than my side. Yeah. Now, I, I had a conversation with a guy from England a while back, and he asked me about the, the monkey shine and the, the Skittles, and he had to explain to me what those games are, but... I said, yeah, the, the, you know, there, there are going to be people who will do stuff like that. There always will be. Uh, I've never done anything like that myself personally. I don't have anybody in my immediate family who has, but I know people in the industry who have. And the, the thing is, there's just so much pressure, uh, nowadays because of the cost of the equipment that there are going to be people who will take who will take chances like that to, to reduce the amount of, of prizes that they're putting out there to, you know, to, to keep that money back to, to make their ride payment. You know, that's just, that's just the, that's just the nature of some people. Okay. Okay. But for the, the consumer, the customer's um, security, we do want to let, there are some sort of laws and regulations that these traveling carnivals do have to follow. So, you know, your rides have to have a certain standard. Your games have to have a certain standard. So, um, there, there is that level of checks and balances out there that people are quote unquote supposed to follow though, right? Right. Right. Awesome. And, and, uh, if, if, if you ever have a problem, if, it, that the that the owner or the manager doesn't address, always go to the to the uh, 
to the sponsor of the event because they can put pressure on them to make it right. Okay. And the, the other thing is, is a, in a, a lot of parts of this country, when it comes to ride safety, uh, more of the ride safety out there is being implemented by our insurance companies than by the state regulatory agencies because in many cases, the insurers will require a higher standard of maintenance than the state inspections will. Okay. Awesome. Now, you mentioned that you and your brother had some difficulty taking over your father's business when he passed. What what kind of challenges did you guys face? You said you guys really weren't ready for that. Well, the one thing that we, that we weren't uh, able to, to make up for was just the amount of work that he did. Um, oh. He would, he would routinely drive three or four trips a week. Um, but also he was one of those people who I, and, and people say I get, I get a lot of, of my attitude from him. And he was one of these people who was generally positive, happy most of the time, uh, could make other people laugh and smile and, and see the, the, uh, the better side of whatever the situation was at the time. So. You know, losing losing somebody that was your 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 role model, the person you looked up to, and also somebody who who helped you realize that things weren't as serious or as bad as they looked at the minute. You know, that's 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 hard to overcome. And as I look back at it, I realize that he's probably my dad was probably one of the best friends I've ever had. So I lost somebody that I was in business with, the dad, a best friend, and um, you know, also. At that time, we had uh, the insurance pri- the insurance premiums on uh, amusement rides were going up every year much faster than they are now, and a lot of that was caused by the the uh, the results of the of nine eleven actually. Oh, you never figured that that would play into the carnival experience, but I think a lot of industries, a lot of changes um, for a lot of different kind of businesses. Um, happened after that how, how long did you and your brother manage to hold on to the business after uh, your father passed we operated for uh almost four years at the in august of the fourth year when our when our uh, big payment on our insurance was due and we couldn't cover it we decided to connect up with my uncle who also has a carnival and we traveled with him for five or six years uh, and then after that, we, we got an opportunity, or my mom and my brother Patrick got an opportunity to go manage the food and a couple of games for a woman in San Antonio. So at the, for another two or three years, they were still operating food but weren't traveling all over the country like they had been before. And then eventually they just got completely out of the business and – we have three or four contracts for fairs that we we book other people in with rides and games to cover the the actual contract, and we receive a percentage of the gross. And we still have these contracts because, as as our as these people will, te- will always tell us whenever we see them, they don't really want to uh, go through the process of deciding who to book for for their next carnival. They would just rather us. They know they can trust us. They know they can depend on us. So they figure we'll just let y'all we'll just let y'all find the rides in the games because we know that if any if if you bring somebody in here, they're going to be somebody we want to have, 
And if they do anything we don't like, you'll take care of it. So That's right. <laughs> That's right. Awesome, awesome. Max, hold on for me. We're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back right after this. Let's return to Don't Box Me In with your host, Lana Reed. Welcome back. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. I'm your host, Lana Reed, and today I'm hanging out with Maxwell Ivey. He's the author of the book, Leading You Out of Darkness into Light, A Blind Man's Inspirational Guide to Success. And uh, we've been spending the beginning of the interview talking about his uh, time in the carnival. Now, your, when your father passed, I, I was reading on your website and some blurbs about your book that your health wasn't the best at that particular time. Uh, what was going on with you um, at that particular time when your dad passed? Well, I, my health had never been really good. I was always seriously overweight. Uh, you know, we people would pe- people from my age would say would just say fat. You know, um, was never really healthy. Uh, but after he died, I, I put on a, a lot more weight and I eventually had health problems that forced me to see a doctor. And the first thing they did was determine that I had sleep apnea. And after they treated me for the sleep apnea, I started having more energy and started uh, looking after my myself a lot better. I also started to, to think that uh, maybe the 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 carnival not working out so well wouldn't be such a bad thing and that there could be some other things out there I could do. So uh, I'm one of these people I thoroughly believe that if you're not physically or mentally healthy, then you can forget about being a success at anything else. So I was. So how did you start your, your health transformation? What did you do to make some changes in your life? Well, the, the, I, I, <clears throat> The, the first, like I said, I started with the CPAP machine where I was getting good rest. Um, then I, st- I started trying to eat better, which isn't easy when you're traveling like, like I was at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but one, once uh, they started working with the lady in San Antonio, I was able to stop traveling altogether. Uh, I got me a stationary bike and started riding it. Uh, started drinking more water and uh eating a whole lot less fried foods. So, uh, and I made some progress, but nowhere near as much as I, as I wanted to. Uh, my doctor finally asked me if I would consider going to a seminar about gastric surgeries. And I told her I really didn't think it was for me because uh, I had always thought that by having a surgery, you were basically giving up, that it was a, uh, an easy, easy answer or a quick fix that, you didn't have to do any work. You just had the surgery. But she probably knew better when she asked me if I'd go anyway. So I went and after hearing what they said, they said that, yes, you can have some results by just having the surgery. But in order to have the real benefit of it, you have to change your change your lifestyle, change your eating habits. And so I've followed everything that they taught us during the classes leading up to the surgery uh, I take my supplements, I drink the water, I give up caffeine. Uh, I've drastically changed my portion sizes. Uh, I've, I avoid milk and, and juice because I used to drink a lot of milk and a lot of juice. Mm-hmm. And I have lost the weight and managed to keep the weight off. 
Um, I'm off of all my prescription medicines, and at awesome. one time I was I was on seven different prescriptions, taking a, taking twelve pills a day. So I'm off of all my medicines. I'm down to two hundred and roughly two hundred and sixty pounds, which my doctor says for my height and body that that's that's he, he considers that my ideal weight. He's, he says the B that BMI chart may say different, but you know he's he's one of these doctors. He's he's looking for a healthy weight that somebody can maintain as opposed to what the what that chart says is somebody's ideal. I'm at the very top end of what it would consider normal. Awesome. Uh, you know, it's that's, that's phenomenal. I mean, to be off of all of those prescriptions that you were taking before and down. Can how much weight did you lose in total? Well, from my first weigh-in, I lost 256 pounds. Awesome! Awesome. Yeah, and I weighed I weighed 512 on February 14th of 2012, and I I weigh in. You know, it it goes up and down a few pounds. It's uh, most anybody will do, even if they're even if they're healthy, is their weight's going to fluctuate if they weigh every day. But I'm, I stay right around 260, and I've I've had no trouble with the holidays or with family gatherings. And as as you know, most family gatherings are all about food. So yes, indeed. <laughs> and you know, in, in your defense, let me stick up for you. In your defense, growing up around candy apples and popcorn and hot dogs, it's probably very difficult to to establish healthy eating habits growing up. You know, if that's all you're you know having all the time or exposed to all the time. So you know, it, I could see it being kind of easy to kind of pack on some pounds at an early age. But I mean, it's just amazing that you've made that transformation. And like I said, just to hear the fact that. The, the, the weight loss allowed you to get off of the, the medicine, that the prescriptions, that is that is phenomenal in itself. Right, and one of them was metformin, which uh, I don't know if you you know mm-hmm. are aware of what it is, but for anybody who doesn't, it's a it's a diabetes drug. It's also a chemical weight loss drug, but they generally only give it to people who are are borderline diabetic or already diabetic. So, you know, that's uh, one. Of, a definite sign that if I hadn't done something to control my weight, that I was looking for a whole lot worse down the road. Mm-mm-mm-mm. So now the holidays are coming up. And uh, mom is mom still with us? Yes, yeah, she's still with us. She's okay, uh, mom. So mom, mom has to cook special for you, or what? Well, they 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 pref- they they don't prepare the foods exactly the same way that they would have before the surgery. But the real difference is we don't make as much of it, and we we don't keep as much of it. We <laughs> give a lot of it away. Um, I tell you though, we've we've gotten to be real popular among the relatives because they know that if we, we come over for for to to their dinner, they they know we're going to leave with a bunch of our stuff still in their refrigerator. So. <laughs> They like to see you guys coming. Yeah, yeah. My mom's got a couple of, of, of favorite recipes that we've been having for years, uh, and one of them is something called macaroni pie, which is mm-hmm. no good for you. Oh, you know what macaroni pie is? Oh, okay. yes, indeed. It's it's so tasty going down, but you just I just feel the weight going on each hip when I'm eating each bite. <laughs> well. <laughs> It's it's one of the things my uh, my mom learned it from from my dad's mom in South Carolina and everybody in the family asks her for the recipe but she won't give it to none of them so <laughs> they have to hope we bring them some 
And it's it's absolutely no good for you, but it's uh, but if, you know, you you get a couple of spoonfuls just so you don't feel deprived, and then you go on to eat the turkey and something else, you know. There you go. There you go. So, when did you decide to start your business, uh, Midway Marketplace? Well, I originally started. I was was doing it kind of a part time thing. I was hoping that I could sell some other people's rides or games and and use the commission to invest in some equipment or to pay some of the bills and keep the show going. But when I realized that that wasn't going to happen, I thought maybe I could do this on a, on a full-time basis. And uh, at one particularly bad event in September of 2006, uh, we had perfect weather. I had uh, the, the game booth I was working was loaded down with stock. There were plenty of people walking around the midway spending money everywhere else, but nobody spent no money with me. And I went home and I said, you know, Max, this is if if this ain't the if this ain't a sign, nothing ever will be. <laughs> and I called my brother up, this Michael. He he lives in Florida. I called him up that day and I said, I said, okay, Michael, I'm convinced it's time for me to do something different. Let's file for the domain name. And it was four or five months later before between us we had a website up. But you know that was when I knew it was going to be something I I would work uh, as making it a profession and. Uh, I think I've done a pretty good job of it. I'm, I, you know, don't have as many listings as I would like, but uh, the people I do work for are good people, hardworking people that, you know, generally they need to sell the rides that they have if they're going to to buy newer or different stuff to replace it with. So, I feel like I'm helping people who need help, and a lot of them are are kind of in the same position that I would have been in if I were still operating a small carnival. So. Uh, I think, I, you know, people that talk about me, they don't seem to talk bad about me if you catch them on the Internet. And I feel like I'm an expert in the field as far as the amusement industry at this point. So I, I'm, I'm very well satisfied with, with what I've done. I've been doing it for nine years now. And I'll put my website, the traffic, the mailing list, and my social media networks up against anybody else that uh, does what I do. Love it, love it. Now, let, let explain to me, uh, so I'm clear. So, um, your, your, uh, business Midway, and I just went blank there. Midway Market, yeah, Midway Marketplace. So, you sell carnival equipment. Well, well let me make sure I'm clear. Do you actually house the ca- carnival equipment, or you're just, you allow people to post their equipment that they have for sale? Or how, do, how does it all work? Okay, I work on a, a commission basis, and I post people's equipment on my website. Okay. Uh, I found that having a system where they post their own equipment doesn't work for me because I either end up with with uh, with stuff that has nothing to do with the amusement industry, or I end up with listings that aren't uh, that aren't clear or detailed enough to where basically it, it generates more questions and more. More trouble than it saw than it saves by letting them post their own ads. So, um, me and Patrick we work together to uh, to to edit or sort the photos and the video. Uh, I ask them all the stupid questions that anybody that might want to buy something would ask them. Mm-hmm. I write write the description and then upload it to the website and then start promoting it on uh, social media, emails, phone calls. Uh, any, Anything I can think of to get their equipment in front of somebody who might want to buy it. Okay. And I was on the website and I saw you you have everything on there from like a ride to a whole total carnival. 
Yep, I have uh, two carnivals for sale, a big one in California out of the Los Angeles area and then a small five-ride carnival up in, up in Canada. Wow. So, and then all the way down to uh, uh, corn, a, a corn roaster trailer, uh, a uh, hot dog cart. Ah. You know, um, I, I don't I, – I, you know, when, when I, I say it's Midway Marketplace and I say it's amusement equipment, but – I try to keep the definition as loose as possible, um, just like I when I when I figure out who I consider are in the amusement industry. To me, it's a lot it's a lot bigger it's a lot bigger field than most people would think of. Because I to me, I include things like uh, pumpkin patches and agritourism companies because a lot of places that do the pick your own fruit also have inflatables or. Yes. You know, I include the Renaissance Fair people, the the, uh, the Pirate Fest people, uh, zoos, aquariums, shopping malls, uh, traders' villages. You know, there's there's lots of places that either have or or might want to have food, games, inflatables, whatever. That other people that a lot of the other people that uh, do what I do just ignore because it's not part of what they w- would consider the usual market. Okay, so you're snapping more areas of business because you're just open to getting more uh, diverse clientele. I, you know, a little smart man there, smart man there. Okay, cool. We're going to take the last break. When we come back, I want to uh, take some time to talk about your book, so stay with me. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. Welcome back. Welcome back. Today I am with uh, Maxwell Ivy. Some people finally call him the blind blogger. And uh, you wrote this book, Maxwell, called uh, Leading You Out of the Darkness into Light, A Blind Man's Inspirational Guide to Success. Uh, what made you sit down and write that book? Well, like I tell people, uh, a friend of mine challenged me, or as some people like to say, she double-dog dared me to write the book. <laughs> Um, I, I was invited to be part of a summit, and, and in order to do that, they said I needed to have a book or a product or something. So I started working on the book, and the, the summit fell through. But by that point, I was already well into writing the book and decided that uh, perhaps that was just, you know, it was, was one of those things that just came together to, to force me to start writing the book. So uh, I started in in late July, early August, with the goal of having it ready in September. But when the summit fell through, uh, I took a little longer writing it. I eventually got it to my editor in November, and it uh, has been on Amazon and CreateSpace since January. So uh, I'm I'm working on a second book where I'm going to tell more of the story about how I got to this point. I'm thinking of calling it My Journey Out of the Darkness from Blind Carnival Owner to Successful Life Coach. So... Hopefully after the first of the year, I'll have another book, and maybe we can come back and do this again next year. Will do. Now, um, you know, we've learned today in my my talks with you that, you know, you – you gradually went blind, but even still, you're you know working with the family, and you're doing the snow cones and the popcorn, and you go off to you know college, and then you get a job at the IRS, and then you start your own business. So you're doing all of these things, and in spite of you know, and then you know the, the weight loss and all of that stuff. So you're doing all these things in spite of. Now I want to ask you: um, Has there been a time in life, uh, Max, where you run across somebody maybe, and they're moaning and groaning about some particular small area of their life, and you're just looking at them and listen and you're like look I'm blind and you really want to complain about 
this? I mean, do you you run into people and like you don't even appreciate any of your blessings? You know, I, I haven't run across anybody like that in a long time. Uh, <laughs> actually, what I seem to run into are the exact opposite. I seem to run into these people who go, uh, you know, Max, after meeting you, I realized that uh, the things that are, are holding me back are not reasons, they're excuses. <laughs> That's right. Okay. I like that. And, you know, some of the stuff you do now or you're transitioning into doing is actually, you know, life coaching and mentoring people, you know, into seeing that, um you know, how to have a better life, right? Aren't you starting to do that? I'd read that, okay. right? Yeah, as, as as many people have said, if they're going to hire a coach, they would like to hire somebody who's who's been through it and done it and had to experience a lot of the same frustrations and disappointments and setbacks as, as they have or will. So I think I'm ideally suited to, to share my experiences and to help other people take action in their lives to – to actually get to that place, because most people have a have a dream or a goal in their head. If they haven't achieved it already, it's generally because there's something they're doing to stop themselves from getting there. And I, I want I'm I'm here to take away their excuses and also to help them see if, see some of the ways that they can they can get there. Uh, and I like to talk to people about are you. Are you making lists of reasons why you can't, or are you trying to find ways that you can? And that's what I do pretty much every day. Okay. Okay. I think everybody should be saying to themselves, if, if Max can, if Max did, I mean, I really, what's my excuse, right? Exactly. I, I love that. I hear it. Anytime I hear it, uh, it, it never gets old. <laughs> okay. Now, uh, you're fondly called the, a nickname that has trained, uh, come up over the years is the blind blogger. Uh, who, who gave you that name or how did that come about? Uh, when I was, uh, was promoting the uh, Midway Marketplaces blog on social media, I joined a group called Bloggers Helping Bloggers on LinkedIn and, uh, the people in that group just started referring to me as the blind blogger because I was the only blind person they knew that blogged. And it's kind of like um, if you're the only anything in a group, you become that. Like I have a blind friend who has embraced Periscope, and they're now people on Periscope are now calling him the the, the blind Periscope dude or the blind Periscope. So, you know, when you're the only person, you know, I'm the only blind person that most people know. So I immediately become the uh, the the blind blogger and. I uh, was very happy to find out that the domain name hadn't been taken when I decided to to start a website where I would share my my experiences as a as a blind entrepreneur and offer the coaching and speaking. So, yep, I'm the blind blogger, and it's one of the you know I didn't I didn't pick the name, but the name suits me, and my friends hung it on me, so I'm very happy to carry it. Awesome. Now, um, just out of curiosity, uh, do you have to have special tools or equipment to do the things that you do as a blind blogger? Uh, I don't know that you would call them special tools anymore. I use a uh, I use a uh, computer. It's a Mac with a screen reader. There, theirs is called Voiceover. People that have Windows computers can get a program called uh, called Jaws for Windows that does the same thing. You know, basically it, uh, it reads the text on the screen to you and you have different, uh, tools to navigate around the screen to get it to, to read the parts of the screen you need at any particular time. I just recently got an iPhone and iPhones and any of the iOS devices have speech built into them so you can use those out of the box and, uh, have access to most of their apps. 
some of the applications, whether it be your laptop or on the on the smartphones, aren't aren't built to to work with speech. So there are still quite a few apps out there that I can't use. So sometimes you have to you have to find different ways to do something as opposed to what a sighted person would do it. But there's less and less times where uh, I would say that there's something I just absolutely can't do and have to get somebody else to do it for me. Awesome. But that's one of the things I'm that, that I'm all about. And it's one of the things that as a blind person comes easier because people don't get people don't uh, aren't surprised when a blind person asks for help. But a sighted person, that's especially a business person, they get all upset if them, they get crazy if you tell them they have to ask somebody else for help. They think that it's a sign of weakness that if they're going to be in business, they should know everything and be able to do it all and be it all. And the truth of the matter is anybody that's successful, they're successful because they have a team. The team may not be paid. You know, they may be friends, family, volunteers, people they met on the internet, or they may be salaried employees, but anybody that's successful has a team. I mean, you're doing this show and you do a great job as the host, but you got an engineer and you got a company behind you that uh, maintains this network. So, and I'm sure that's just the tip of the iceberg for your team. So, yes, indeed. I yes. can't do this by myself. <laughs> me neither. <laughs> me neither. It's just easier for me to ask for help because as a blind person, they started teaching us from an early age don't ever be afraid to ask. And then, of course, uh, my dad always used to say, Max, if you don't ask, they can't say yes. That's right. I love it. I love it. So real quick before we get out of here, what's next on the pipeline for Max? Where can we uh, catch up with you? Okay, theblindblogger.net, midwaymarketplace.com, just ask at theblindblogger.net. Um, 979-215-1770 is the phone. Um, Twitter, I'm at Maxwell Ivy. Um, I'm scheduled to be part of a live event in in Austin, Texas, March 5th and 6th with the uh, the Festival of Enlightenment road road tour from with uh, Bill and Jan Moore, and that people can find out about that on my website. I have an online course to teach people how to get booked on radio shows like this that they can uh, that they can take, which it, which now includes a an interview on my own podcast as part of the course so that when they're through, they can go to people like you and say, hey, I'm a, I want to be a guest, and here's my audition. I've already had one show. So Love it. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, And where can they pick up the book real quick? Uh, the book is on Amazon and CreateSpace, and if they will just, if they will just uh, do a search for Leading You Out of the Darkness, it'll come right up because it's, uh, as far as I know, it's the only title – Unless somebody's come out with one in the last few weeks, whenever I do a search, that's the only one that comes up. Okay. So there you go. My guest today has been uh, Maxwell Ivy. Please visit uh, his website. Let's see. There's two of him, theblindblogger.net, and then we also have uh, themidwaymarketplace.com in case you're interested in picking up some amusement items. Uh, Max, I have enjoyed my time with you today. Thank you for hanging out with me. Well, I've enjoyed it too, Lana. I really appreciate you having me on the show. Yeah, uh, and uh, this is this is going by really quick. It's it's been a fun interview, and uh, uh, look forward to to talking with you at some point down the road. 
True, true. Awesome. That is all for this week's show. I'll be back next week at the same time. Until then, remember when it comes to your dreams, the words can't and won't should never slow you down. There's always space to change and to grow. Don't be boxed in. Live your very best life. I am your host, Lana Reed, and I will catch up with you next week. <laughs>